breakfast, and the reason is, okay, I love pancakes, first of all, they're amazing, but secondly, because I read a, a headline the other day that really alarmed me, and it said, half of congregation dies of starvation after sermon goes 15 minutes long, and I thought, man, I felt that way sometimes when Joel preaches, so that's why I'm up here today. I might just die of starvation, but thank God he didn't put us in a church that lets us die like that, and they provide us with pancakes, right? Um, but, you know, today we're going to continue in Acts chapter 20. Um, we've been doing a series called Ordinary to Emboldened. It's all about how the Holy Spirit does amazing works in his people, through his people, to change the world. And, you know, I think that last week was really fascinating because we looked at Acts chapter 19 and spoke about this riot that happened in Ephesus. When the Christians were preaching, Paul was preaching, they were teaching that people should repent and turn from idols to the living God. That sounds amazing to me. But the people were furious. And so they started a riot. And they started chanting for two hours, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And they just kept going like a bunch of psychos. And then this guy stood up and he said, We're going to be charged with unreasonable rioting. Because there's no reason to oppose the work of God. And they all went away. They realized, yeah, this is pretty crazy. Right? It's pretty crazy when you want to be... You know, Joel mentioned this, and I love this point. You know, you tell someone, I gave up drinking, and they go, what, are you crazy? And you go, no, you are. <laughs> right? It's like, oh, praise God. And so today we're going to look in Acts chapter 20, and we're going to see how God's glory, when we really see it, it transforms our hearts, and it makes us into a new person, um, so long as we pay attention. So Acts chapter 20, verse 1, it says, when the uproar had ended, Paul sent for the disciples. And after encouraging them, said goodbye and set out for Macedonia. He traveled through that area, speaking many words of encouragement to the people, and finally arrived in Greece, where he stayed three months, because the Jews made a plot against him, just as he was about to sail for Syria. He decided to go back through Macedonia. He was accompanied by Sopater, son of Pyrrhus from Berea, Aristarchus and Secundus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derbe, Timothy also and Tychicus, Tychicus and Trophimus from the province of Asia. These men went on ahead and waited for us at Troas. But we sailed from Philippi after the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And five days later joined the others at Troas where we stayed seven days. So right here it says after the riots, they decided, okay, let's go find a new city to make everyone upset. And so they start traveling around. And they traveled a lot. And they had to actually avoid certain routes that were probably easier because people were opposing them. Um, and I just want to make a small side note that when God's word spreads, sometimes it requires our discomfort and also other people's discomfort. You know, I reach out on campus sometimes and I talk to people and they feel uncomfortable. And so they lie to me and tell me that they'd like to come, but they never show up, right? It's consistent. And I get it. I, feel, I get why you feel uncomfortable, but I'm not here to make you feel comfortable. So I'm going to say it anyways. And if you don't like it, that's okay. Um, and that's the spirit of the disciples in Acts, and I think that's the spirit we should have. Judge for yourselves. Should I obey God or man? Who do I fear more, right? Um, but let's keep reading, because that's not really the main point in this chapter that I'm, I'm going to talk about. On the first day of the week, verse 7, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight. Amen. I bet a lot of people starve to death, right? <laughs> But isn't it easy to think, man, midnight, I'm never going to go to that church. right? Maybe, maybe their preacher loves the Bible too much. I think we got to be careful we don't have that attitude. Um, and that's why I'm going till midnight today. <laughs> you guys better enjoy it. 
But no, I just, I just wanted to show that, that Paul loved God's word, and so should we. It's amazing. And the people loved his word, and so they listened till midnight. But one guy was struggling to listen. His name is Eutychus. Let's keep reading. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. Seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Paul went down, threw himself on the young man, and put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive. Then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. After talking until daylight, he left. The people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. Have you ever been listening to a sermon or the word of God and you just find yourself drifting away? You picture Eutychus. He's probably sitting in the windowsill because the room's packed. And so he's sitting in the windowsill and slowly, you know, Paul's been talking for 12 hours and he just starts to drift away. And then he starts to tilt this way and he falls out the window. And it's, think about this, he died. He literally fell on his head from three stories. And then he was raised to life. But I really want to focus on this theme of, of falling asleep. You know, how easy is it for us to miss what God is doing and the amazing things that are going on in his word, in our times of prayer, in the lives of people around us, in our own lives, because we're asleep, because we're distracted, because we just aren't paying attention. You know, it's actually a really common theme in the Bible. People struggle with sleepiness. I can't tell you how many times I've been reading in the morning and and I wake up 20 minutes later, man, that was messed up. I should have stayed awake. And I'm always convicted every time. But it happens all the time. I'm praying, and I get on my knees because I think, man, that's not comfortable. I won't fall asleep, and I do. And I'm not saying this, is, this doesn't happen every day or something, but there are times in my life where it was a real struggle. And this is common in the Bible. I think there's a reason because we also struggle with it. Luke 9, these are real people. Luke 9, there's a story um, of Peter falling asleep. And we also know uh, the Garden of Gethsemane. You guys recall the, the disciples, Jesus asked them to pray for one hour. And they fell asleep. And he actually rebuked them. But here in Luke 9, we'll see a similar story. In verse 28, okay, it says, About eight days after Jesus said this, so he was talking about how he needed to die, which is what Meg was talking about. So you suffer and then see the light of life. It says, After Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. Okay, already this sounds amazing. How many of you wish that you could climb a mountain and pray with Jesus? I think so. I wish I could do that, but I can't. And here's Peter, James, and John. They have that opportunity. How amazing is that? As he was praying, so they weren't praying, right? They weren't praying. Jesus was praying. It says, as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem, Peter and his companions were very sleepy. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and enveloped them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, whom I have chosen, listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves, 
and told no one at that time what they had seen. So imagine yourself in Peter, James, or John's shoes, right? You get to go up on a mountain and pray with Jesus. And, you, and you're standing there, right? Like some of the brothers and I, we go out to Putnam Rock and we pray together. So you can picture we're all standing and one of us is praying and we're listening or whatever. And then three of us start to fall asleep because Jesus has been praying for a while. He liked to pray, right? So we're just getting bored. Like, man, Jesus just drove. I'm, I'm tired. I had to climb a mountain. I'm going to sleep. And you're asleep and all of a sudden you just see this bright light. And you open your eyes, and it says you see, you, he saw his glory, his glory. And in Mark, it says that his clothes were whiter than any bleach could ever make him. So you can't just explain this like, oh, well, he's just got really white clothes, and I was asleep, so it blinded me. No, brighter than a flash of lightning. Really, really amazing. But because he was so tired, he nearly missed one of the most amazing moments in all of history because he wasn't in the moment, right? How easy would it be for us, or even for me? Because when we, when we think about it, we have retrospective. We go, oh yeah, of course, that's an amazing moment. But you don't always see that coming. They didn't see it coming. Like, it's just another day, Jesus praying, and you could have missed it. If you were there, you could have missed it, because you're just too busy sleeping. It's easy for us, when we're not awake, to miss God's glory. And when we read the scriptures, how often is the eyes of our heart shut to see what's really in there? How many times have you been reading the scriptures and you're just bored out of your mind? Happens to me all the time. And there's something wrong with me. There's nothing wrong with the Bible. I guarantee you that. There's nothing wrong with Jesus. When we're awake, his glory, we go, it's good for us to be here. And we want to build booths and we want everybody to stay a while. We want to make a little tent. But we miss it. And we misunderstand it, too. Peter did not know what he was saying. It's only when we are spiritually asleep that we miss God's glory. But when we're spiritually awake, we see it. So some of you, some of us, maybe me, me included, have no idea what we're talking about right now. What is glory, right? Because that can be confusing. Um, the word it can be difficult to translate, I would say, because we don't use it very often. We don't talk about glory very much. And the way we learn words is usually just by using them a lot. And so we don't use the word glory very often. We don't talk about God's glory very much. And so the concept can be kind of foreign. You know, oh, it's light. It's dazzling. It's cool. What does that mean? Turn to Isaiah 6, 3. I just skipped right past it. There it is. Isaiah chapter 6 gives us a great vision of what glory is. And when we think about it in human terms... You know, some glorious people that I think of, Napoleon the Great, Bonaparte, glorious, okay? Um, Tom Brady, pretty glorious when it comes to football, right? Or maybe Aaron Rodgers, if some of you are so inclined. Uh, I'm not <laughs> inclined. But these are people that we, we would call glorious, right? We put them on a pedestal, quite literally, um, when they win championships and things like that. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3, it says, And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, the whole earth is full of his glory. Glory is God's holiness made public. What I mean is God is full of this holiness, which means he's so unique. He's so different. He's so life-giving and powerful. We can't even understand it. And actually, in our sinful state, we can't even come to his presence because we're full of darkness. And darkness cannot survive the light. Right? And so when we see that, we call that glory. When that becomes known, the Bible says that the Lord's intention was that his glory would fill the whole earth. 
And so when we see his holiness, when we see how unique, how beautiful, how radiant, how splendid he is, majestic, then we see his glory. And that is unique to God alone. We like to think that we're glorious. I love to think about my glory days, right? We talk about all the football and basketball that I played. And when I think about it, it's like, really, it was nothing. And I still talk about it too much. Please feel free to rebuke me if I'm going on it. But the glory days, for us, they're nothing compared to God's glory. And we should remember that. I think it really humbles me. But then you go, okay, so now I get what it means. But how do I see it? I mean, if God wants the whole earth to be filled with his glory, how did he help me to see it? Right? And it can actually be immensely difficult for us, and I'll talk about why that is in a minute. But when we talk about seeing God's glory, none of us can actually walk with Jesus up on a mountain and see him blazing with light. And so there's ways that God provided, turn to Second Peter chapter 1, that God has provided for us to actually see his glory 2,000 years after Jesus. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 16. This is actually a letter from Peter to a church. So there's a reason he writes these things, right? Peter is not randomly writing. He has intentions, and so does God when he instructed Peter to write this. And it says, We did not follow cleverly invented stories. How often do people accuse the Bible of being a clever story? They did it back then, too. When the witnesses were still alive, people said, That's a myth. That's literally the Greek word for story, myth. That's a myth. You made that up. So Peter has to answer that objection, that criticism. So he says, we did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory. Mine has it all caps. The majestic glory. There's no one else you can say that about, saying, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. So Peter literally points him back. He says, I remember being on that mountain and being asleep and waking up and seeing the glory of God reflected in Jesus. In John 1:14, it says, we have seen his glory. The glory is of the one and only. And they're talking about Jesus. The most powerful way that God allowed me to see his glory was through Jesus in his scriptures. I remember when I was 16, I won this Bible. I share the story with you guys all the time because it's so important to me. I won this Bible and I started reading it and I was amazed. And I went to church every Sunday. And I heard sermons from one of the best preachers I've ever heard, Steve Sainton, every Sunday for years. And I never saw his glory until I started reading it on my own. And I read it with a heart that wanted to see something. And you could say, oh, Grayson, you were biased. You're just confirming your bias. Well, I'm, I'm about as biased as Peter. I was half asleep most of the time. And then God helped me to wake up. And I started reading it, and I read about Jesus, and I've never read about any man like that before or since. And I've read about a lot of men. I've never heard of anyone like that. He is glorious. He's amazing. He's unique. He's powerful. But the other way God reveals his glory, Romans chapter 1. And this isn't the only ways, okay? I think that God can reveal his glory in whatever way he pleases, but his word lays out at least a couple that we should hold to and cling to as ways to see his glory. Have you ever gone to 
say, the American West, right, the beautiful Rocky Mountains, or the Sierra Nevadas, or wherever you go, or the Pacific Ocean, and you look out and you just have this sense, this is amazing. Do you, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you guys. Do you really believe that that evolved for any reason? Why would it be advantageous for me to think the ocean is amazing and beautiful when it actually could easily kill me? I should probably run away from the ocean and be afraid of the ocean. Instead, I'm drawn to it. I'm drawn to the mountains, which are very dangerous, but they're beautiful, they're majestic. I don't think that dogs look at mountains and find them beautiful. Why do humans? Romans chapter 1, verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. That was me. Sometimes it still is. I hear the truth and I push it down because, man, I'm wicked. And I love wicked things. And it's hard to hear the truth when you're living in darkness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. You know, from a young age, I didn't necessarily believe in Jesus, but I knew there had to be a God. Because how do you see these mountains and these oceans and these galaxies and go, well, that probably came out of nowhere. And I find it really beautiful for no reason. That never made sense to me. So I said, well, there's someone, and he's pretty amazing. I don't know who he is. It says, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, since the very beginning, however many billions of years ago you think it was, it says, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. We love to make excuses, right? I mean, sometimes something goes wrong in the house, and I immediately blame my wife. It's Ivy's fault. I'm sorry that I do that. But it's how we are. We love to just blame shift, and our favorite, maybe one of our favorite, when we don't want to believe in God is, well, he just hasn't shown himself to me. And God himself says, no, you don't make that excuse. I made that excuse. They say, well, where is he? If, he, if he's so amazing, I want to see him. Where's, I didn't get to see Jesus like these guys. And he says, there's no excuse. Look at the creation and tell me you don't feel the glory. Tell me you don't see it. I certainly do. It says, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Now, the heart of evil, and I say this with a little bit of humility because I don't want to be a little bit arrogant about my own conclusions, but I think what this is saying at the root of all evil is glorifying something other than God. Because we know him but we pretend that we don't and we suppress the truth and we deny what he says and we go, look at this amazing person, aren't they? I'll follow them. I really love Confucius or Buddha or whoever. And it says, though they claimed to be wise, they became fools. And that's the heart of foolishness, denying God, rejecting God. And I experienced that in my life when I started to really, I remember I read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then I read Romans. And these things stood out to me so much that I couldn't escape it. I was like a moth drawn to the flame, and I was just flying at it. Like, it's kind of scary, but I, it seems good. And thankfully, it didn't destroy me. <laughs> and I didn't get zapped, but, you know, people set up those cruel traps for moths. It's vicious. <laughs> they just loved the light, and you just killed them. 
But that's what happened for me. I loved the light. At some point, somehow, my heart came awake, and I started to love the light. Some of us need to learn to pay better attention. When we read the scriptures, when God raises people from the dead, that's amazing. And we shouldn't just gloss over it like, yeah, it happens every day. I see it on the day-to-day. It's normal stuff. It's not normal. It's glorious. Jesus is not normal. He's glorious. And so I encourage you, don't fall asleep when you read the Bible. Don't be like me. Love it. Enjoy it. Spend some time in nature with God and see his glory in that. You know, but some of you, some of us really, have probably never seen God's glory in the way that Peter did, in the way that I believe that I did. And you might be wondering, okay, what in the world is he talking about? Sometimes it, it can feel like there's a foreign language being spoken, right? That's how I felt on Sundays. What is he, I mean, it sounds cool, but what is he talking about? I don't get it. And I want to I show you guys why that is. I want to illustrate this for you. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Because I've been there, and frankly, sometimes, some days, I'm still there. I wake up, and I don't see the glory of God, and I go throughout my day, and I do these Christian things, but my heart's not there. And so I need to correct myself. I need to correct my course. But there's a reason why that happens. There's a reason we struggle with it, and it's not so easy all the time. In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse uh, 1, it says, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Just a brief aside, when we preach the gospel, we should not be ashamed. I've struggled with that sometimes. There was a guy on campus, I felt like I should say something to him, and I didn't, and I should have, because when I speak the truth plainly, it commends us to God and in the sight of men as well. So we set forth the truth plainly. In verse 3, it says, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age, that's not Jesus, by the way, that's Satan. And that's a difficult, I'm not going to get into that right now, but essentially Satan has usurped God's reign in some ways so that he can blind people's minds. It says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And he says, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Once I was so blind that I would listen to God's word constantly. My dad would have little family devotionals. He'd sit me down and say, all right, we're going to read this. And I would pay attention out of respect for my father, but I did not understand it. It was like a foreign language. Why should I suffer to be happy? That is so bizarre. But when I saw God's glory, my eyes were opened. And that's what it is to see Christ, is to see glory. That's how we have the eyes of our heart open. You know, in um, Ephesians 1.18, Paul talks about basically praying for them that the eyes of their heart may be opened. Some of us need to pray that the eyes of our heart will be opened, that we could see God's glory that's what happened to me. I started to read. I got a small taste of God's glory, and I started reading day and night and praying, Dana, God, please help me to see. I just don't understand, but I want to understand. 
Jesus actually says, John 5, 44, if you seek glory from men and not from God, you cannot understand. You cannot believe. It's impossible. And so when we seek thing, glory in the wrong places, when we glorify the wrong things, it's impossible for us to believe. And that is at the heart of why so many do not believe. And it's a sad thing. Trust me, I don't have any self-righteousness, pride in my, it wasn't me who made me see. I put in some effort. I tried to seek glory from God, and God opened the eyes of my heart. Some of us need to see that Satan has blinded our minds. Satan has blinded your mind so that you cannot see unless you seek the opening of your eyes from God. Ephesians 4, 17-21 teaches us that sin calluses our heart. It darkens our hearts. Sometimes the thing we need to do is forsake sin. And when we do that, it softens us to actually see God's glory. You know, I lived a life of blatant sinfulness. Now, I hid it from others, but it was blatant in the eyes of God. And so that I could not see his glory because I was so fixated on my own pleasure, on my own gain, on everything that I wanted, on my own glory, ultimately. And so I appeal to you. I beg you to study the Bible. I beg you to study it with the heart that Jesus had, seeking God's glory and not your own. And I beg you to pray that God will open the eyes of your heart. God will not turn you away. He didn't turn me away, even though I was messed up. And like Eutychus, metaphorically, he can raise you from the dead. He did it for me. I came from the dead. I couldn't see God to something completely different. Okay, so we see God's glory. How does that transform us, though? What, what happens there? Uh, if you read, actually, just in 2 Corinthians 3, just before this part, verse 12, it says, and this is a beautiful thing. This, I would encourage you to go back and read 2 Corinthians 3, 2 Corinthians 4. It's all about the glory of Jesus. And how much greater it is than any other glory. And the Apostle Paul, by the way, who wrote this, was not inclined to like Jesus from birth. You know, I'm not trying to be rude, but sometimes people make this accusation that you're only a Christian because you're born in a Christian family. Apostle Paul was not born in a Christian family. And he had a lot to say about how amazing Jesus was. That is not why I'm a Christian. I'm grateful for it. My father helped me. That's not why. And I encourage you, don't think that way. It's foolishness. It doesn't help you to understand because... If Paul was inclined to be a Christian, then I read the wrong story because he was killing Christians. I, he, must, he must have made that story up for some reason. And I don't think he did. I think he's a truthful man. We can trust the scriptures. These are people who saw Jesus' glory. 2 Corinthians 3, 12 through 18, it says, Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it, while the radiance was fading away. See, Moses got to see the space where God used to be. And his face was shining from it. That's how glorious God is. To the point where he couldn't let the other Israelites look at him. Because it was too dangerous. It says, uh, We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it, while the radiance was fading away. But their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains. When the Old Covenant is read, it has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. 
And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. He says there's a veil that covers your heart when you read. And right now, in that context, he's talking about his fellow Jews. I lived with a, a Jewish friend of mine. His name is Ron, and he, for two years, and I love Ron. And Ron, I read the Old Testament with it, and he does not see Jesus there. There's a veil over his eyes, and I tried to show him that. I think I even read in this. <laughs> he didn't get it. He hasn't seen the glory of God in Christ. But he says, we who with unveiled faces, when you, when you turn to the Lord, that veil is removed, and you can see clearly. We reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed. See, when you see God's glory, you don't stay the same person. I think that that is impossible. Now, I think it's possible to see God's glory, to change, and then revert. I think the scriptures teach that. But I think it's impossible to see God's glory and remain completely the same. Now, how does God's glory turn us into bold, unordinary, uncommon men and women? Sorry. <laughs> but it says, all right, you know what? Um, let's use Jesus as an example, okay? How did Jesus do what he did? I did a lesson at the Men's Midweek on Wednesday that spoke about motivation, taking initiative, how we become people of action. Because it's easy to be paralyzed by our fears, our self-doubt, all, all the struggles that we have, the sin that's in our lives. You know, honestly, even coming up here, it's like, what right do I have? I'm sinful. But Jesus, even Jesus needed the Spirit. Mark 1.12 says he was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. Jesus was filled with the Spirit, so he needed that as well. And Jesus, in Matthew 9.35, it describes him as having compassion because people were harassed and helpless. And a lot of times we stop there and we say, Jesus does what he does because he loves us. And that is absolutely true. But Jesus also does what he does because he seeks, turn to John 17, to glorify God. And so if we want to be transformed, we need both ingredients. Both ingredients. Uh, in, in John 17, verse 1, it says, After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. So very briefly, if you think about a pot of water, and if it just sits there, and, you know, bacteria get in there and all these things, it actually becomes unclean, stagnant, and dangerous to drink. So what is the cure? A lot of times you just boil it. You boil it, but there's two things you need to boil something. You need heat and you need pressure. And so when you put in just heat, and technically there's always pressure. That's not the point, okay? When you put in just heat, just compassion, that's good, but it's not good enough. It won't make you exactly like Jesus. It will make you similar, and that's a great thing. And the Bible teaches that love is the greatest virtue. But if you add in glory, now you have heat and you have pressure. And Jesus was filled up with a passion for the glory of God, that God would be glorified, that people would turn away from idols. And that motivated him to be someone different. And so when we behold God's glory, it, be it comes into us. And we get a passion for it, and we love it. And we want other people to hear about it and to know about it. And it comes bubbling out of us like a, a boiling pot. 
And I believe that if we can take hold of this, then we can truly be transformed. And the only way to do that is by studying his word, by praying, and by staying awake to see God's glory. If we do so, we'll be transformed, and we will love God and love people more than we ever have. That's all I have for you guys. Thank you so much for listening. Um, let's say a quick prayer, actually. I need to pray. And then we'll, uh, we'll have some contribution announcements, and you'll find out what's next after that. All right, let's pray. Holy Father, uh, Lord, you are amazing. Your word is beautiful. It's wonderful. It's astonishing, and it transformed my heart just to read it for myself and to really strive to know you where, in a way that I never had and to actually desire your glory instead of my own, Father. Thank you for that gift. I pray that those of us here who have not yet seen your glory would see it today, would see it this week, would see it and be transformed and never be the same, Lord. Thank you for that gift. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.